The following recording was produced by Christ Redeemer Church of Hanover, New Hampshire. The speaker is Doug Cooper. You may find more information on the church and its various resources on the web at www.christredeemerchurch.org. Good morning. Our passage is Galatians chapter 4, verses 7 through 20. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to these weak, those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. This ends the reading of God's word. Thank you, Jean. Um, So we're continuing on in our, our time in Galatians. I was looking at this passage all week, and uh, I was kind of struggling a little bit because um, if you were here two weeks ago, the title of our message was Gospel Freedom. Um, If you were here uh, last Sunday, the title of our message was Gospel Freedom Part 2, and I'm like, man, I I feel like I could name this Gospel Freedom Part 3, and then I'm like looking ahead at the other passages, and I'm like, if I'm not careful here, I'm going to be doing like a Rocky franchise kind of a thing here. <laughs> you know, before I know it, we're going to be up to like Gospel Freedom Part 8. So um, so I had to ask myself, you know, like more specifically, what's this passage about in particular? And um, here's what I would say. It, it's about how this gospel freedom that we have been talking about and considering for the last few weeks, uh, how it ripples out, okay? How it changes things. Or put differently, I believe that this passage is about gospel culture, and I'll say more about that. But um, at the very least, I'll, I'll, at the outset, I'll say this, that this is, this is an interesting passage. It's uh, somewhat awkward as well, uh, if you were listening, because in a sense, you might say that Paul is um, he's defending his leadership here. I don't know if you picked up on that. He's defending his leadership, and in a sense, I, I, if, if that's what you caught, I think it would be right to suggest that. I think that's accurate. However, more to the point, what I really think that he's doing here 
is defending the gospel itself. He's defending the gospel, and he's doing that by highlighting the ways in which um, it has affected him, the ways uh, that it has developed him uh, into the kind of leader that he is, and um, the ways that it, is, it has enculturated him um, to the gospel, and uh, how it holds the potential for change by extension, how it holds the potential for change for the Galatians, how it holds the potential for change for us. And um, here's how this dialogue plays out, in case you uh, find the reading a little bit confusing. Um, put simply, Paul is saying to them, I think, uh, Galatians, think back with me, you know, cast your thoughts back. Try to remember how I came to you that first time. Try to remember what it was like when I first came to you, when I first shared the gospel with you. And please notice that I haven't changed. Okay, I'm still coming to you in the very same spirit that I came to you at the start. The ways that I've always come to you. And now consider how these other folks have come to you. And I'll just say time out here because you might be like, other folks, what other folks are we talking about here? Uh, if you look at verse 17, you'll see him speaking about them. He says, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that they may have that so that you may have zeal for them. So who is this? Who are these other people? Who is he talking about? Um, and he's clearly not crazy about them, it would seem, right? And these are, you might say, the disruptors. We've read about them before. We've been hearing about them all along. Uh, these are the disruptors. Uh, you may recall that they have come into the church the church that Paul himself has established quite some time ago, um, and they have a different message from the one that Paul has brought to the Galatians. It's seemingly similar. Seemingly, okay? It's seemingly similar, and we're, we're going to get into this, but it's different. But the Galatians have been hoodwinked by this other group. They've been hoodwinked. And that's what's at the heart of this whole letter, really, is Paul addressing this very thing. And this makes me think of the Pied Piper. You guys know, we've all heard of the Pied Piper, right? Um, does anybody know, like, the, uh, the, like, the original um, legend or whatever? I believe it's, like, a German legend or something like that. And the way that the legend goes, if, I'm, if, I, if I've got this right, is that there was some town somewhere, and they contacted this Pied Piper, and um, asked the Pied Piper to rid the town of rats. They had some kind of a rat infestation, right? So the Pied Piper, with his flute, leads the rats out of town, and the town failed to compensate the Pied Piper for the work that he'd done. So the Pied Piper then led all the children of the town out of town. <laughs> like, it's kind of a creepy story. Like, all these old... <laughs> Isn't that how it goes with, like, all these old, like, uh, fables and, and myths and stuff like that? Like, it often involves weird stuff with kids getting baked in ovens and stuff like that. Um, but uh, that seems to be what happened here. The Galatians have been lured away like children. And Paul even refers to them as children. Did you notice this? 
as his, he says, my dear children, this is what he says in verse 19. And what Paul's doing here is what he's been doing all along. He's trying to break the spell that they're under, you know? He's trying to snap them out of this tune that they've been lured away by. And right here, he's doing so by comparing their leadership, his leadership with their leadership. He's saying, consider your experience, your experience with me, your experience with them. We're not the same. Myself and my group and, and them, we're not the same. And right here, he's, he's doing so, yes. Um, by, he's, he's telling them we're not, we're different because our messages are different. This is the critical thing. We're different because our messages are different. They embody two different things, two different postures, two different motivations, two different cultures, you might say. Paul, in a sense, is asking them the question, how do these messages differ from one another? Please consider, please consider. If you really want to know how they differ, pay attention to what they produce. Produce is a good word. If you think of it as like produce, you know, like food, um, veggies, fruits, uh, it gets at it, I think. If you trace, tr if you trace it back, this word culture, uh, what, what's it really about? Well, it's, uh, cultivate might be a, a good way of thinking about it. Um, cultivation, uh, we cultivate the ground, right? We cultivate the soil, we cultivate plants. And so what kinds of plants are these other people cultivating? What kind of plants are they peddling, you might even say? This is Paul's question. And if you really want to know, Paul is saying, pay attention to the fruit of their message. Pay attention to the produce. What does their message produce? What kind of culture is it producing among you? Pay attention. In other words, the proof is in the pudding. You've heard this as well breaking out some oldies here. Proof is in the pudding. So to so be honest with yourselves, Galatians, how does it taste to you? What they're serving up for you? How does it taste? How are these folks treating you? What are they up to? What do they want from you? What do they want for you? Think. <laughs> so that's what we want to look at um, this morning is, is this very thing, this comparison, really of cultures between Paul and this group. We've been talking about gospel freedom for the last two weeks. So the question for this week might be, what does gospel freedom produce? What does it produce? What kind of a culture does this gospel freedom create? And to sort this out, we're going to consider Paul. We're going to consider Paul. Um, that's, I think that's what he's asking us to do, actually, is to consider him. So here's a few things. First, we're going to consider Paul's formation. This will be our first point. Simply, I, I, I would say this first point is really just a consideration of gospel formation. It'll be a reconsideration of gospel freedom. What's the seed that's being cultivated that produces this culture? Secondly, we'll consider what I'm calling Paul's flexibility. And then the last thing that we'll consider is Paul's inflexibility. And those two, those last two points will make more sense when, when we get to them. So one more time on those. Um, Paul's formation, Paul's flexibility, and then Paul's inflexibility. 
Okay, so to begin with, Paul's formation, if you'll recall, Paul's background is that he was a star-studded um, Jewish Pharisee, all right? Uh, he knew Jewish law. He was zealous for it. Um, he was tops with it, okay? He, he lived by the law. He built his whole life upon it, which is to say um, he was ever so careful to try to um, obey it to live by it, uh, and by his own admission, he was the cream of the crop in that regard. He, he really was um, uh, a Pharisee among Pharisees. I think that's how he put it, right? But um, after he came to know Jesus, he, he really looked at this whole thing in a very different way. He, he said that all of the, you know, his rigid effort, all of his um, resume building as a Jewish Pharisee, um, all of his impressiveness, all of his accomplishments, at the end of the day, after he came to know Jesus, he saw these things as dung. He was just like, they're really not worth much to me anymore now that I know him. By comparison, knowing Jesus, these things are just a shadow to me now. And to understand that, I think, you know, we get a really good and concise description of this experience in verse 7 that you have printed at the top of page 6 in your bulletin there. Paul writes this in reference to those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. He says, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. In other words, now that you are God's child and belong to him, all that belongs to him now belongs to you. You're an heir. You're his. And here's the breakdown of what separates a slave from a child of God, according to Paul's letter so far. He, he, here's the difference between his message and the other folks' message. Are you seeing this? Like these, these parallels, they, they, they line up. And I'm going to try to express this as concisely as I can in order to, to, to make it plain, the differences between these two messages, okay? One message is, listen closely to this because they sound so similar. One message is, I believe and obey. I believe and obey. Therefore, I am saved and accepted. That's one message, right? It's kind of like <laughs> there's some Pied Piper stuff going on here. Okay, here, the other one goes like this. I believe and am saved and accepted, and therefore I obey. Did you catch the difference? I'll say it again. I believe and obey, therefore I am saved and accepted. I believe and am saved and accepted, Therefore, I obey. It's slippery stuff. Sounds like the same exact thing almost, doesn't it? So, so what gives? Why is Paul splitting hairs here? Why is, you know, chill out, Paul, is what they might be thinking. Like, man, man, gee whiz, why are you making such a big deal out of this? And that's the thing that's scary about it. That's the most scary thing about it. That, that, that Paul's trying to uncover here. It's the similarity that makes it so dangerous. And this is how, like, the best lies, if you could call a lie best, if you could, like, you know, you have, like, a top ten list or something like that. Like, the best lies are the ones that have a good deal of truth still in them, that kind of conceal the lie itself. 
I think that that's what's going on here. They sound the same. Similar enough to the Galatians. But they could not be more different. This is the thing that we need to see that Paul's pointing out for us. These two messages are a universe apart from one another. They constitute the difference between being a child of God, being an heir of God, and being a slave. That's how far removed they are from one another, these two statements that I made. Perhaps one of the best illustrations of this, I think, might be one of Jesus' parables. If you think of the, the parable of the prodigal son, probably most of us are familiar with this. So you know, what, what happened? What, how's, I'll just break the story down for us a little bit. So the, it's, it's a story of a son who, I would say, in an act of disrespect, self-absorption, he comes to his father, he asks his father early for his inheritance. You, you typically wait till somebody dies before you have this kind of experience, right? He says, I want it early, Pops. Why does he want it? Does he want to like go, you know, start a, a business and get, you know, get a steady life and stay at home and contribute to the family? No, he just wants to go have a good time. So he takes his money, he runs, he goes out of town. He blows it all. Having a good old time, right? You guys know this story. And then what? And then he finds himself completely impoverished. He's got a job that he's hardly being comp compensated for. He's hungry. He's like, he's starving. And he thinks to himself, I've totally blown it. I've squandered both my monetary inheritance as well as my status, my place, my position as the son of my father. I've ruined it. However, hmm, let me think here. I could return to him and work for him. I could, be, I could become one of his servants as a hired hand. I would be so much better off with him than with this joker that's hardly paying me. I'll work my way back into the household. I'll sleep in the doghouse. It'll be fine. It'll be better than this. Okay? And he returns, and what happens next? I'll read it. Instead of giving you my version of it, I'll read the rest for you. Okay? This comes from Luke chapter 15. While he, the son, was still a long way off, traveling towards the house, right? While he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Almost seems like his father was looking for him or something, right? Waiting for him? Had an eye out on the horizon? His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to said, get this, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fat, bring the fattened calf and kill it. The fattest one. Let's have a feast. And celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Cue the music. Lavish grace. Such an incredible story that Jesus is telling here. This son didn't earn this privilege. You understand? Obedience didn't get him through the door. Obedience didn't get him back on the property. In fact, 
This kid did just about everything that he could possibly do to ensure that he would never find his way through the door again. Isn't that what he did? He earned disfavor, not favor, and yet he experienced favor. As he approached his father, he was met with grace, with full acceptance, met with an embrace, met with a robe, met with a feast, met with a celebration. He was treated as a son, as an heir, which he was. And it's as if Paul is saying to the Galatians here, bringing this back, don't you realize that by faith, not faith and obedience, by grace alone through faith alone, you were received as sons and daughters. You were embraced. You had a ring put on your finger. You had a robe put around you, fully accepted, adorned in the goodness and righteousness of Christ. Do you really want to go back and become a hired hand willingly? Because that's what you're suggesting by embracing these other people and their message. That's where this is all leading. As G.I. Packer, great Christian thinker, so insightfully put it, he said, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought, listen for culture here, okay? If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. In other words, some of us this past week, right, guys, we were talking about this. We we're really like wrestling over this idea of like, what is freedom? What is it? What's gospel freedom? And I think that what Paul is telling us here is that this is at the heart of it. Like, Whatever it is, this is at the heart of it. It comes down to the experience and the privilege and the security and the honor and the wonder and the comfort of knowing that you belong to God, that you know him and are known by him. You see? That you're seen by him as a precious child. This is what we're freed into, is this experience of being children of God. Do you see? And what Packer is telling us in that quote that I just read for you is that this experience, this message of the life of the gospel produces culture that reflects it. It, it, it reflects back what's there, right? It ought to create our whole outlook on life. In other words, it ought to produce after its own kind. It creates a culture within us and among us. And this is what Paul is saying to the Galatians, okay? He's saying, examine the culture. How have I conducted myself among you? How have I treated you? Why did I do it? What was the upshot? What was the benefit for me? How was I benefiting from all of my engagement and interaction with you? And then how about them, these guys over here? Same questions. What were they up to? This brings us into our second point, Paul's flexibility. Paul's flexibility. In verse 12, Paul says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I 
became like you. What's he talking about? What's he talking about? Here's some insight. He, uh, he said something very similar to what I just read right there when he was writing to the church in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23, Paul writes this. Though I am free from all, talking about gospel freedom, though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant. This is weird. I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Why? That I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things, Paul says, to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. This group came through the door, this other group of people. They came through the door, they came in strength, and essentially gave the Galatians an ultimatum. They said, if you want to belong, if you want in, be like us. This is what the other group said. Be like us. Get circumcised. Follow the dietary law. Keep track of months and years and these other things. Paul says, I came to you in weakness. Isn't this what he said in our passage? I came to you in weakness. Shoot, I needed you. I needed you guys to take care of me. I needed your help. All I had to give you was this message of the gospel. And so that's what I did. I I didn't impose upon you. I mean, he did, I guess, in the sense that he was in need of their their medical assistance. I didn't impose upon you. I didn't place demands on you. I became like you. I listened to you. I tried to understand you that I might help you to see and understand the good news of Jesus Christ so that you might share in its blessings with me. And where did Paul learn this? This becoming like others. Where did he learn this? Was this his idea? Well, of course not. This is what, what Jesus has done for us, isn't it? This is the example that Jesus said. I mean, think about this. This is from um, this is from Philippians. Have this mind among yourselves, Paul told the Philippians. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, to, to like desperately and rigidly cling to. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He became the incarnate one. He entered in. He got into our skin. He understood us. He became like us. Jesus became as we were, yet without sin, that he might make us sons and daughters of God. This is what Paul has done among the Galatians and is doing among the Galatians. And he's saying, do likewise. Do as I've done. 
I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. How is it that Paul could do this? And I would argue that this is the fruit. This is a manifestation of the culture that is produced among us as we experience and drink deeply of the freedom of the gospel. This is how it plays out. This is how it grows. Knowing God is our Father and us as his children, it produces what? What does it produce? It produces a sense of security, produces a sense of confidence, while also producing humility, which sounds like a strange combo. A spirit of loving service to one another. And what these other folks were peddling produces the opposite. If you're thinking with me, and you can see that based on what Paul is saying to them in, in verse 17. He, again, I've already read this. I'll read it again. He says, those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that they may have, so that you may have zeal for them. That's their, that's what they're after. So that you might have zeal for them, not for God, but for them. They're, they're functioning like parasites, like vampires. They want your dependence upon them. They want your allegiance to them. All roads lead not to God, but to them with their message. Why? Because they're not living out of a sense of sonship and security and confidence and humility that is found in Christ, that is produced in Christ, in this gospel. They're looking within themselves, not outward. Um, this is interesting. Some of us uh, attended the um, Gospel-Driven Vision for all of life seminar that was hosted by Christ Redeemer Church uh, yesterday, morning and afternoon. And um, it was a really good time. If you don't know anything about it, it's a, a pre presentation given by uh, Pastor uh, Don Williman. Uh, ultimately, it's, it's a very <laughs> thorough um, presentation of the, of the philosophy of, of ministry of our churches, what really... Um, makes us tick, what, what drives all that we do. Um, and as I was sitting there listening, I've sat through this many times, but it had been a while. Every time I, I, I go back, it's always very fresh to me, um, very uh, impactful. And as I was sitting there listening, I was thinking about uh, being here this morning and preaching this message, and I was like, man, I see a lot of parallels here. There's so many parallels between what Paul's talking about in this passage and what is getting teased out by Don in this uh, seminar. And so I thought I would just share just a little bit of it, some examples um, from the seminar um, that I think highlight the implications and some of the applications of gospel freedom. So it's, uh, there's, there's one section in particular, um, Donovan and I, we were um, talking about this, uh, just really powerful where um, uh, he's got a PowerPoint presentation up. He's got just like two columns. One of them is what you could call uh, religion. Uh, it really falls under this category of I believe and obey, therefore I'm accepted, right? Um, and the other column is the gospel. I believe and am saved and accepted 
therefore I obey, all right? So here's a couple of examples that kind of help you get a taste of like the internal experience of one versus the other. See if you can relate to any of this. So this is the kind of religion column. When I am criticized, I am furious or devastated because it is critical that I think of myself as a good person. Threats to that self-image must be destroyed at all costs. Ever feel that way? What is the experience of the gospel as it relates to the same thing? When I am criticized, I struggle, but it is not critical for me to think of myself as a good person. My identity... is not built on on my record or my performance, but on God's love for me in Christ. I can take criticism. That's how I became a Christian. Here's here's a few more. Religion column. My identity and self-worth are based mainly on how hard I work or how moral I am. And so I must look down on those I perceive as lazy or immoral. I disdain and feel superior to the other. The experience of the gospel. My identity and self-worth is centered on the one who died for his enemies, who is excluded. For me, I am saved by sheer grace. So I can't look down on those who believe or practice something different from me. Only by grace I am what I am. I have no inner need to win arguments. Flexibility, right? It creates a culture in us that allows us to be flexible with others. Religion column. Since my identity is self-constructed, I must always be true to myself. Sound familiar from last week? I must avoid or oppose anything that threatens this freedom. Therefore, I am not free to commit and belong to God or others. Real community is not possible. The experience of the gospel now. Since my identity is not something I achieve, but something I gratefully receive as a gift of God, my freedom is not threatened by the constraint of relationship with God or others. I am free to commit and belong. Real community is now possible. You see? It produces something new. It produces something new. Um, This explains, I think, not only Paul's flexibility, but his inflexibility, okay? Uh, Paul was utterly uh, inflexible. How? In what way was Paul utterly inflexible? And it was pertaining to this gospel. It just meant so much to him. It's the thing that caused him to be flexible in the first place. He had to, he had to become inflexible about this. It was the thing that gave him God. It was the thing that caused him to delight in his heavenly father through the gospel God became Paul's delight. He came to know and be known by God. He came to know the fatherly smile, the fatherly embrace of God, the security of the relationship 
with God as the son. And by extension, it's the very thing that made it possible for him to adopt this whole new way of engaging with other people, seeing the world in a purely flexible way. And get this, the gospel made him flexible with people. It made him gracious and patient and loving with people, but not as a pushover. You understand? Not as a pushover. It made him both tough and tender, not just tender. Notice what he says to them in verse 11. I'll just give a couple examples of this. Verse 11, he says, I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. It's a tough comment, you know? If you're worried about chasing people off, you might not say these kinds of things. Verse 15, where then is your blessing of me now? It's tough talk. Then, of course, in verse 17, he doesn't hold back. He's shooting them straight about these folks that are hoodwinking him. He's not being too soft and tender with them. He's just like, wake up, you guys. What are you doing? Right? But he's tender with them. It's, 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 a, it's a combination that the gospel's producing them. Look at verses 19 and 20. So he's been tough on them, and then what does he say? He turns to them, he says, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. I'm troubled over you. I'm losing sleep over you guys. I'm wringing my hands over you. He's being tough on them in one breath, and yet in the other breath, he's expressing just how intense his love and his care for them is. I think he's, when, when he says this, I think he's essentially saying two things. On the one hand, he's saying, oh man, I wish I was with you guys. I know I'm talking tough with you, but I wish I was with you guys. Because if, if we could be eye to eye, you could see it in my eyes. How like a mother, how much I care for you. How much this is breaking my heart. You'd see the bags under my eyes. How I'm losing sleep over this with you guys. You mean that much to me. This is what the gospel's done to me. It's put a spell on me. I'm so committed to you guys. I love you so much. And I think he's also saying, I wish I could look into your eyes so that I could get some kind of assurance that you guys are okay because I just don't know. I'm perplexed. I'm pacing the floor over you guys. It's how much I care for you. Only the gospel can produce this kind of deep and familial love for people who have done us wrong. And they did him wrong, didn't they? I mean, he poured his life out for them. He invested this message in them. He entrusted it to them. And they just kind of like trampled all over it and just walked in a different direction. And it hurt him. You can hear it in his voice that it hurt him. But it didn't make him say, all right, well, forget you guys then. I'm taking my ball. I'm going home. You guys want to be jerks? I'm out of here. No. He's just like, I'm not going anywhere. Like, I am leaning into this with you guys. If you think you're getting off that easy, it ain't happening. Only the gospel can produce this kind of toughness and tenderness in us simultaneously. And again, 
How did Paul learn this? Where is this coming from? He learned this by experience. This was the embodiment of Jesus that had been planted into him, that was growing in him, being cultivated in him. Jesus has been tough and tender with us, has he not? Jesus has brought his light into our darkness. Jesus has exposed our sin in the rottenness of our hearts. He's called us to repentance in a tough way, and yet he likewise tenderly says, come, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come to me and find rest. And he can do that. He can say that because he's been tough and tender for us, right? I, I said it before, reading from the uh, gospel-driven vision. He was excluded for us. He died for his enemies. He was pierced willingly for our transgressions. This is toughness and tenderness simultaneously, you see? So, I guess the last word to us is, we need to cultivate this, right? We need to partner with God. We need to cooperate with his tough and tender love. We need to drink deeply of this gospel. We need to do it together as a family. We need to cultivate this culture, like really cause it to catch fire among us with the help of God, by the Spirit of God. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word um, to us. Thank you, God, that you have, you have not been silent. You have spoken. You have um, revealed your heart and your mind to us. But you have not just spoken, but you have sent to us your very word, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who became flesh, who put on display for us the fullness of who you are, grace and truth, toughness and tenderness, fully exhibited for us. Um, thank you, God, that you um, did not stay aloof, but that you drew near. You became like us, that we might become like you. You were not to content to leave us as you found us, but you have moved in to change us and to make us more and more into the image of Christ. And God, we pray that you would do that for us as individuals. We pray that you would do that for us as couples and as families. And God, we pray that you would do that for us as a church. That you, God, would do the, the hard work, the heavy lifting of creating a culture that reflects back to you who you are. And, um, and we... Gladly entrust these things to you, for you have shown yourself to be trustworthy. You have spared not even your son. You've given us all things. And we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.